0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Der Ausblick, where today we take a look at Bayern's match coming up on Sunday against uh, SC Freiburg, uh, the team from the southwest of Germany facing off against the southeast of Germany. Um, But before we get into that, I'm joined by Tom Adams, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Wednesday's loss to Holstein Kiel. And there are two things that I wanted to add before I got this going about that episode specifically. Not necessarily the game, but the episode. Uh, I didn't give Keel enough credit for playing very well, and I want to state that ahead of time. They played a great game. I don't believe in the concept of one team wanting it more than another team, but they played better. They looked like a better team overall, and therefore they played a lot better than Bayern did. I think Bayern looked ahead of this game to this game against Freiburg at the weekend. I don't think they really gave it too much thought, hence starting Bunasar at right back, but otherwise there wasn't really uh, there wasn't really much separating the two teams. Bayern ended up turning it on and trying their best eventually. Um, The other thing that Tom is also going to hit on, um, let's stop with the the hatred of Mark Rocca. What I think might have been lost in my anger yesterday was my statement where I said that it is not Mark Rocca's fault that he missed a penalty. Because he doesn't have a lot of experience being a penalty taker. Um, If anything, it should have been either Alfonso Davies or Nicolas Sula taking the penalty. But the fact that he stepped up, he hit the penalty well, right? The way he struck the ball was good. He just hit it to the right side, to the keeper's left and the keeper guessed the right way. That's not his fault, per se. Um, And I think any further berating of Mark Rocca is really undeserved and undue and unnecessary. Um, Plus, this is a... Kid that looks very interesting and very exciting. And I know Tom has a lot more than he wants to touch on this, so I'll let him go ahead and uh, and do exactly that. Yeah, Jake,
1: just as you mentioned, I mean, it just seems like it's impossible for Mark Rocha to put or to take two steps forward without taking some sort of step backward. It's just I know that a lot of fans... Uh, Byron fans, there's a great majority. There's a lot of listeners to this podcast, a lot of people that read our website. We all are kind of in agreement on, you know, what else does Mark Roca have to do to get more minutes? Obviously, he came on as a late sub. I believe it was for a Serge Gnabry in this game just before full-time had ended. So he played um, all two extra time periods. And as you mentioned, unfortunately, had his penalty save. But as I had written in my article uh, last night, which came out earlier today, Uh, the early morning hours like statistically he had a very sound game and he hardly put a foot wrong and so i was very pleased that hansi flick came out and offered his support where he said you know someone always is going to miss a penalty kick and Rokas wasn't that bad it was an excellent save by the keeper from holstein Kiel. you know absolutely he needs to be hanging his head high but i just feel so bad for him because that's not going to do anything for his confidence I know we saw him in the first round win of the Daft Bay Paul call against FC Duran. I thought that was a very strong performance from him in a Bayern team that was pretty much makeshift and second string and a lot of kids, so it's sometimes harder to perform well in those situations. Uh, and then I was most impressed with his performance against Atletico Major- or excuse me, RB Salzburg in the Champions League before he got his second yellow it was just Two uh, unlucky mistakes that he made for the yellow cards, and you could see how frustrated he was when he had got that second yellow and that red because he knew how much of a big opportunity it was and, you know, that he was going to have to miss at least one more game in the Champions League before he wound up playing against Lokomotiv Moscow in the last game in the group stages, which obviously meant nothing at that point. Um. So I just, you know, on one hand, I'm glad that Hansi Flick came out and kind of immediately... uh took all the brunt of any criticism that would have been lodged Roka's way. I mean, I know that most football people understand it was a great save. They're not really going to criticize him that greatly for that. But, you know, he's saying that, but in the back of my mind, just like a lot of fans, I'm saying, why isn't he using him more? You know, especially with the injury history that Tolisso has. And, you know, he seems to be very, very hot and cold. I think you would agree, Jake. Uh, sometimes Tolisso's on fire a la Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. And sometimes he's just ice cold making a lot of mistakes like he did for the goal. We conceded against Armenia Bielefield, completely selling out Boateng uh, and forcing him to get sent off. So it's just... One of those things, you know, what does Roca have to do? I know that Hansi Flick has spent some one-on-one time working on Roca's defensive positioning, his physicality, uh, repossession, so essentially winning the ball back after he's just lost possession. Which, last night against Holstein Kiel, he he was only dispossessed seven times. And looking at the stats... That number was very, very low for Bayern Munich players. There were some of our guys that were up in the 14s, 15s, 16s, and these are even some of those players, guys that had come on in the second half or the beginning of extra time. So that gives you an idea how wasteful we were with uh, our distribution, especially in the attacking third, as we were forcing the issue and trying to get the winning goal before penalty kicks. But I just uh, something has to give with Mark Roca, and I just, for me, I want him to get start in a Bundesliga match have a contribution and get backed and really work his way into this team consistently and uh, I know that a lot of people share the same opinion and I don't know Jake if you have anything to add to that but also I want to get into talking about the high lines which uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger had talked about in his post-match punditry for ARD as well as uh, Holstein Kiel's uh, manager Ali Werner. Uh, so Jake I just wanted to know I mean when are we going to stop employing this high line when we don't absolutely need to
0: i think that for a team like Bayern, a lot of the pressure on offense comes from the defense employing that high line is kind of a generator for what basically is shoving a defense into a corner Like, backing them into a corner is basically what this high line does. So working as this defensive unit more pushed up is one of the small but intricate cogs into the catalyst that is their offense, but it does leave some people very out of position and some people that aren't necessarily as quick or athletic, Uh, and I understand that I'm talking about professional athletes here, but those that aren't as quick or athletic are left to try and run back in the case of a ball being shoved out. I think that might have to be the real thing that Hansi works on, right? Because we all know that we want to go ahead and get a right back, right? I think think most of the Bayern fan base is Pretty unanimous in saying that Hansi has come out and said recently that he wants to uh, get more reinforcements for right back. Supposedly, we were in the market for... FC Dallas's Brian Reynolds before he made a, an official move to Juventus, and I don't necessarily think that Byron was going to do that because Byron already has a FC Dallas Academy prospect who plays right back in their academy, and they also don't need somebody like Brian Reynolds. They need somebody more like Trent Alexander-Arnold. Not necessarily exactly Arnold, but somebody who's ready to come in and step in and make an immediate impact instead of somebody further down the line. All of that being said, what Hansi has done a lot with his defense is rotate personnel, and instead, I think he should be rotating tactics. I don't necessarily think that you need for somebody like Benjamin Pavard to keep pushing up the pitch when he's not that great defensively anyways. If you hold him back, he keeps holding on to that pace. He might be able to get a couple steps in better defensively, and he doesn't have to rush all the way back. Uh, I think a similar thing could be said with um, Nick Zula, because as fantastic as it is for Nick Zula to go ahead and dribble into the box and try to put on a shot, Bayern gets caught out sometimes when that happens, right? And it really all depends on who starts alongside... uh, either Sula or Boateng, both of them have really kind of lost a step or five over, uh, the last couple of games. Uh, the question really becomes whether or not it's Hernandez or David Alaba, right? For my money, I don't think Hernandez was the problem last game. I would say start him again and try to, instead of rotating everybody all the time, let's Get some people in there consistently. And if we get some consistency, but deploy different tactics, I think you'd be fine. And I'd say start with the back line. Maybe you don't have Luca Hernandez uh, be pushed all the way up to the front, right? Maybe have two layers worth of defense, right? So you push Fonzie and Alaba further up the pitch because you know that they're good at ball distribution and they're good at running back, but keep... Pavar and Hernandez further back in the pitch, ready to prevent long balls, ready to stifle out any defense. That's my idea. Uh, Hansi can have that for free. Uh, I know I'm absolutely nowhere in the same category of a manager as him anyways, but just from what I've seen, I think employing a different tactic other than the high line might not be the worst idea And for a team that already seems incredibly tired, not having them all have a medium offensive work rate might not be the worst idea.
1: Yeah, Jake, that is a very astute observation. And I absolutely agree. You know, especially in a season that's so congested and everything is so different and we're all making adjustments based off of COVID, I agree. The tactics can very well and very easily uh, be rotated. Uh, just as much as the personnel, you know, if that's necessary for rest, for injuries, whatnot. I mean, we have Holstein Kiel's manager, he comes out after Oli Werner, he says, yeah, we knew exactly how Hansi Flick and Bayern were going to play, and we used it to our advantage, and you know, you wind up getting Finn Bartles, who's 33 years old, we all know him from his time in the top flight, uh, with Werder Bremen and a few other clubs, just absolutely rinsing Buona and making Sarr look like he's incredibly slow. I mean, that's a little bit concerning, and you know, with that goal and, and some of the other sequences, balls over the top from Kiel, I just have flashbacks of, you know, earlier this season against Hoffenheim, uh, Munas Tabor, Andre Cromrich doing this causing the same problems to our back line and obviously we don't want to speak about that game anymore because that game never happened. Last weekend against Borussia Munchen, Gladbach, just so many so many situations this season and even seasons past where that's kind of our Achilles heel and Jake, as you mentioned, we have the personnel and we have the the, the depth and personnel, especially in defense and in midfield, to kind of tweak these tactics. So in the back of my mind, you know, something I'm thinking about now, you know, perhaps for yesterday's match against Holstein-Keel, why not employ perhaps a back three? I mean, we have guys on the roster that can play either center back or wide back, and they're pacey. You know, typically you think of a, a back line, you think of the wide backs being a little bit pacier, a little bit quicker um, on the flanks, you know, quicker than the center backs, but We have Nicolas. Uli. He's played a right back this season on numerous occasions. He plays as a center back. Luca Hernandez, he can play as a center back, as we saw. I agree with you, Jake. I think he was hardly anything to do with any of the problems last night. I thought he had a pretty sound match, actually. Uh, We also have Benjamin Pavard. Remember, all of his time at VFB Stuttgart, he was a center back. But he most often plays at right back at Bayern. Uh, Alfonso Davies, I mean, I'm sure he could even play left-center-back if he was asked to, although that would kind of negate his uh, attacking prowess. Uh, David Alaba, he can play left-back, he can play center-mid, he can play center-back. So, Jake, I guess I can kind of pose this question to you is, would that perhaps be an option with the personnel that we have? We have the pace, we have the players that can play both positions, and would you not have more coverage just behind, let's say, Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka as that's our go-to pivot? If you have three pacey center-backs behind them? Does that not provide more coverage for, let's say, Alfonso Davies and uh, Benjamin Pavard and Buanasar, who are bombing forward? Is that perhaps maybe a little bit of a solution that Hansi Flick could p- potentially try?
0: I don't know if necessarily three in the back is something that Bayern is comfortable with doing or able to do. I think that you basically could not call Benjamin Pavard at this point a good like outside defender, right? A good right back. I would be really interested in seeing what he would look like at that right center back position, right? Which was one of his like two positions. He either plays right center back or right back. But with that being said, I really don't see a back three. I really don't see a back three being something that Byron works on uh, for a while, uh, I don't know exactly if they have the personnel to do it, and I don't know exactly if they have the means or the desire to do it either. Uh, I think it would be a bit too jarring, considering as this team has been mostly relying on a four-two-three-one for the last couple of years, and to completely upend that entire system in favor of something drastically different, like putting three people in the back, I think that would be. Um, I think that would be a bit awkward and a bit too much, and I also don't think that's something that you could be able to teach somebody four days before a Bundesliga match, which, by the way, that is the whole reason why we are here, and we are going to get into that. So we are talking about Freiburg. They are eighth in the table currently. They have a plus four goal difference. They are on 23 points. The way that I really liked to structure this episode is I picked out three attacking threats, two players to really watch, and then one big question. So I want to start off with the three big threats. Uh, of course, when you're thinking of Freiburg and scoring their top scorer right now, Vincenzo Grifo who either plays kind of as a left mid or depending on which formation they're playing as almost a center attacking midfielder and that is an important point which will be brought up later Uh, he has 7 goals, 4 assists, 15 games played, he has 2 goals in the last 5 games Uh, the second threat that I've kind of picked out is their right mid-slash-right winger, uh, Roland Shalai. He's got four goals, one assist in 14 games. But of those four goals, he scored three of them in his last five games. And then the third threat, I kind of cheated a little bit because normally I would just pick out one striker. But it's really almost a three-headed hydra of strikers at, um, at Freiburg because they've got a number of players who rotate in and out at that main striker position, who score goals relatively well. Uh, you got Nils Pedersen with 5 goals, no assists in 15 games. You've got Lucas Holler at 2 goals, 2 assists in 15. And Ermedin Demirovic at 2 goals, 4 assists in 15. So the three of them combined all account for 9 goals, 6 assists across 15 games. And they all have played 15 games. And they all rotate out for each other. So my question to you, Tom, is this. Of those three, who do you imagine will have a bigger impact on this game?
1: Well, it's difficult to point out, but just with the names that you mentioned, I can remember uh, in seasons past, both last season and the season before, Lucas Holler causing us a lot of problems. I believe he scored a tying goal at the Allianz Arena in the 2018-2019 season. Uh, So he's one guy I'm looking at, but it's funny that we were just discussing Hansi Flick perhaps, you know, Rotating his tactics as much of his as much as his players, and we're going up against the side where Christian Schreik he does just that. He oftentimes deploys uh, a four two three one, or perhaps three in the back, perhaps five in the back with two holding midfielders. He's really toyed around with the squad, and all of those guys that you just mentioned, he has the luxury at his disposal. And coming into the season, I was a little bit curious to see how Freiburg would handle with the loss of uh, Luca Waldschmidt because I thought he was a player who was very on the up, uh, and I was hoping that he would stay in the Bundesliga and stay with Freiburg and kind of make a name for himself and you know stay on the forefront of Yogi Love's mind but it's it's very it's very beneficial that Christian Streich has all of those guys that he can rotate in and it's funny the last 3 matches against Hoffenheim Stuttgart uh and I believe it was FC Kuhn, he's he's toyed uh with with different lineups and I think he started each and every uh different player up top in each and one of those games and you know, in, in addition to uh, Vincenzo Grifo, has been an absolute stalwart for them uh, an attack in attacking midfield. He's also deadly from set pieces. Um, I would say uh, I think it's going to be Holler who starts up top just because I believe in the 5-0 win that they recently had over FC Koln. It was uh, Demirovic who started up top, if I recall correctly, and got on the score sheet. I'm not sure if uh, Strike will choose to rotate again, but my bet, I'm keeping my eye on Haller. If he's starting, Demirovic, obviously, if he's starting as well, either of those guys are going to be a problem. They're going to cause a lot of problems and, and be main threats for Bayern Munich's backline. and uh, also... Roland Salai and Vincenzo Grifo have just been absolute killers this season. So I, w- I would keep my eye on them too.
0: So now I'm going to talk about the two players to really watch. Similar to Bayern Munich, regardless of what formation Freiburg plays in, they also utilize a very important double pivot of Nicolas Hofler and uh, Baptista Santa Maria. Now, neither of them are really statistically powerful, right? Each of them have one goal and one assist. Uh, Baptista Santa Maria has played 14 games. Hofle has played 15. But what they do very well is move the ball up the field. And they're both incredibly versatile in such movement. Santa Maria has occupied positions as a central defensive midfielder, a actual true-to-your-numbers number-eight central midfielder, as is his number in the program, uh, number eight, and he also occupies a number 10 role as well at central attacking midfielder. You saw that working pretty well for, uh, Freiburg and their five, nothing win over Kohn the other day. And Hoffler kind of sits back a little bit more, but he does move up the pitch as well. You saw a nice assist from him in that same game, and he also works very well with Shalai. He will play at basically the right defensive midfield position, or if they're playing a midfield four, he'll be the right central midfielder, and he'll work very well with Shalai to either play him balls forward or to send him out wide to get across into the middle. Tom, Bayern battling in the midfield has been something that has been their bread and butter. Over the last couple of games, they haven't exactly won that, especially most recently against München Gladbach, where they totally and completely seceded the midfield to Florian Neuhaus and uh, Jonas Hoffmann. So do you think that with Santa Maria, with Höfler, what they bring to the pitch, do you think that Bayern will have a tough time containing them and their forward progress of the ball in this game?
1: they'll certainly have a difficult time. And the one question I have on my mind is, you know, Leon Goretzka was left out against the match against Holstein Kiel for taking a knock to his calf. And from what I understand, was a bit more precautionary knowing that we were playing Freiburg at the weekend, uh, so he didn't travel to Kiel, but, or Holstein rather. But if he's back in the lineup and he rekindles with Joshua Kimmich in that double midfield pivot, I think we have a better chance. I'd be curious to see, you know, Santa Maria, Jake, as you mentioned, is a guy he oftentimes does line up right next to uh, Nikolaus Hoffler, who's an absolute destroyer uh, as a natural number six for uh, SC Freiburg. But oftentimes, sometimes Santa Maria does play a little bit more advanced. Sometimes uh, Christian Streich chooses to deploy Kevin Schlatterbeck in the, the central defensive midfield role. Uh, he's also played as a wide back or even a center back alongside Philip Leinhardt. So it would be curious to see where he chooses to go, or perhaps even if he packs all three of those guys into midfield, Hoffler, Santa Maria, and Schlatterbeck, uh, perhaps sacrificing one of his uh, his attackers, but keeping Grifo on and deciding if he wants to bring holler uh, Demirovic up top. But nonetheless, it's going to be a real scrap in midfield for Bayern Munich to contain all of those guys, regardless of the exact personnel that will be fielded uh, to start. And then obviously... Christian Strike can make the adjustments. I mean, a lot of times when we're playing teams, they make halftime adjustments. They make adjustments midway through the second half. So whoever doesn't start could obviously come onto the pitch and make a massive difference and change the shape. So, Jake, as you mentioned, it's going to be a real battle. It's going to be a real scrap, even if it's Kimmich and Goretzka in that double pivot.
0: You mentioned shape. That is my one big question for this game. What formation does Christian Strike use for this game? And it begs a good question. Over their last five games, we have seen them use three different formations, right? And keeping in mind, in their last five games, they have four wins, one draw, no losses. Or sorry, four wins, no draws, one loss. They lost to VfB uh, Stuttgart. Uh, that loss to Stuttgart, along with a win against Hertha Berlin, came using a 3-4-2-1, So that basically means that they have the ability to turn that into a 5-2-2-1 or truly operate in that 3-4-2-1. They used a 3-4-3 with wins over Hoffenheim and Schalke, but their most recent game, they used a 4-2-3-1, and that is interesting because the 4-2-3-1 is very midfield-oriented and very high-pressing in the midfield. That's fact number one about it. Fact number two, Cohn used a 4-2-3-1. They continue to use a 4-2-3-1, and Strike used a 4-2-3-1 solely to counteract Cohn's 4-2-3-1, and they won 5-0 as a result of it. Now, I'm not saying that Kohn and Bayern are on similar levels. Bayern are currently leading the table. Cohn are fighting for a relegation spot, but... They operated really well, regardless of the change in formation, and it was a formation specifically put up to counter what Kohn had in mind. So, Tom, which one do you see them using for this game, and do you think that there is one that directly hurts Bayern more than the other? If I'm
1: trying to look directly into the mind of Christian Schrike, which is an absolutely tall order, I'm going to have to say he's going to try and pack those spaces uh, in the final third. And by that, I mean Bayern's attacking third and and Freiburg's defensive third. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of something what we saw in their 3-1 win over Hoffenheim. uh, Given the fact that Hoffenheim are very attack-centric and they play very expressive. (laughs) Yes, it hasn't quite worked for them as of late as they've had a torrid run. Uh, But I think we will see something like a a 3-4-3 or perhaps even... Uh, what they deployed in the 1-0 loss to VfB Stuttgart, where it's kind of an inverted 3-4-2-1, where you, Jake, as you mentioned, could easily turn into a back 5. you know. But I think all those guys that we mentioned, I think he's going to work it so that he can get Hoffler, Santa Maria, Kevin Schlotterbeck all on the pitch centrally uh, to kind of congest those spaces, uh, keeping guys out wide as well. Christian Günther, Jonathan Schmid, keeping those guys committed, asking them to do a lot of work on the backside of the ball, on the defensive side, to keep those spaces really compact. And, you know, it's kind of the blueprint to, to beating Bayern Munich or giving them a difficult time. You know, the the more and more our attackers have to work to create the less and less space they have, the more and more numbers we commit, the more and more open spaces there are for guys like Lucas Haller uh, Demirovic, Vincenzo Grifo, Salai, to just pounce and attack into, so... Jake, I, I think he's just going to go, as I said, with something like a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1 where you know, he can flip-flop and easily turn it to a back five and just stifle us, frustrate us for as long as he can and you know, get those counterattacks and, and try and be effective and make the most of those counterattacks.
0: Let's wrap this episode up. Tom, very quickly, final score.
1: I'm going to say Bayern bounce back all week at Sabaner Strasse, or I should say the few days in between Holstein-Kiel. Uh, In this match, Hansi Flick will drill into his players' heads not to make those mistakes, to be very careful with the high line. I'm going to go with with a 2-1 Bayern win for this one.
0: I'm not sure what to make of this team yet. I don't know if they've exactly learned from their mistakes. I don't know exactly if the managers have learned from the small mistakes that have led to tough performances, close wins, and major losses over the last couple of months. So what I will say is this. I can see this going one of two ways. I can see this going as like a high-to-medium-high-scoring draw or a Bayern thrashing, right? I don't know if Freiburg wins. If Freiburg wins, there will be major problems. If Freiburg wins, I imagine they win 3-1. to If Bayern wins, I imagine they win 3 to one But otherwise, the one that I'm really sticking with is a 2-2 draw. I don't know exactly what Strike has in mind for Bayern. I don't know whether or not he's going to be talking to the manager of Holstein Kiel in the next couple of hours. But the most important thing is that I don't know how Bayern will react. And that's a bit of a weird thing to say, but it's important. They just dropped two games in a row, and for a team that bragged about having more trophies than losses in the year before, in a year where not a lot of the personnel has changed, that's a bit terrifying. It's jarring, and I don't know how they're going to react. I hope they bounce back, but whether or not they actually will is yet to be seen. So, this has been a longer Dare Ausblick than normal, but extenuating circumstances dictated so. Thank you all for listening. Like, rate, share, subscribe, and download the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else to get your quality audio content. Follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. Follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Follow Tom on Twitter at tommyadam 71 And until next time, we will bring you our post-match coverage of this game against Freiburg on Sunday. We will see you later. Have a great weekend. Auf Wiedersehen.